Hey, hey, hey. Welcome, everybody, to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm your host, Toby Leary, and this is a show brought to you by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. Please check out all of the great products Vortex Optics has to offer at Cape Gunworks. And also, uh, if you go over to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire, which I will put the link down in the description, you'll be able to sign up at a very special uh, price from the USCCA. So uh, thank you again uh, for joining this show uh, each and every week. I enjoy doing it. It is my pleasure uh, to, to do so. A lot of big news today. Um, today was the oral arguments in the uh, Cargill v. Garland case, which is the ban on pump stocks, which isn't necessarily Garland's fault. <laughs> Although he's the obviously the AG who's in charge of enforcing said legislation or not legislation, but rules that carry the weight of law. Um, this is the 100% fault of the ATF at the behest of Donald Trump. A lot of people don't realize that, that um, Donald Trump is the one that President Trump at the time told the ATF, basically, figure out a way to ban this thing, right? Because Congress refused to act. The jury's still out as to why he did that. Um, he says, the, the NRA said, look, it's a novelty item. Nobody gives a crap about it. And it will placate the people who want another, are calling for another assault weapons ban so offer it up on the altar of you know convenience as a way to no one cares about it and will it'll take off the table universal background checks assault weapons ban and capacity mag capacity bans all that being said that's in the rearview mirror it was a bad idea at the time it's a bad idea today it was probably the second time i've heard pundits say and other YouTubers, et cetera, say it's the first time this was done? I don't think so. I think the arm brace thing, which goes all the way back to 2012, if I'm not mistaken, um, was the first time that we saw the ATF act as a legislative body in determining whether or not the arm brace is the creation of a short-barreled rifle and they vacillated back and forth like three, four, maybe even more times than that. But uh, those who were paying attention at the time probably remember like you could, you couldn't, you could, you couldn't, you could, you couldn't shoulder fire a braced pistol. And um, so so the, uh, the bottom line is this wasn't new to use the ATF uh, for... Um, rule changes in, in regulation that carries the weight of law. So that's the part of this that really just is, I think, the key mechanism and or the key component to this is, does a regulatory agency 
have the right to change a rule or change how something is enforced and have it carry the weight of law. That to me is the legislature's job, right? It's the Congress's job to write law. It's the judiciary's job to interpret law. And it's the executive branch, which the ATF falls under's job to enforce well-established written law. And so, you know, that's the part that's just driving me crazy is the fact that there's no, you know, the, the ATF can't write law, just like the attorney general here in Massachusetts can't write law when she sent her opinion on the assault weapons ban to all the dealers back in 2016. It's, it's a overstep of their authority and their duties, really, as, as the bureaucrat or the elected official. I hear you. I hear you. It's not cool. So we need to make sure that they are smacked down whenever they try to overstep their bounds and, you know, remind them of the separation of powers. And that I think is, is really, really important. But, um, long story short, we're here. And as a result of this being kind of perfected almost, we now have a frames and receiver rule. And we also have, um, this bump stock, I mean, uh, excuse me, this arm brace rule still pending out there and still being the law being changed in, uh, in actuality, not in actual provision. So um, the law has not changed at all, but the enforcement of law has changed a lot as it pertains to, you know, those of us who are buying and selling or owning guns. So you can wake up one day and based on the ATF going through their regulatory rules and changing said rules, um, you can be a felon. That's what the whole pistol brace thing is. So they're saying there's upwards of 40 million pistol braces in existence. And, uh, you could go to sleep one day and wake up the next and be a felon um, based on the rule change. So they have this public comment period where they open it and a bunch of people weigh in and say like, no, it's not a, it's not a, you know, short barreled rifle or yes, it is. Or no, it's not a machine gun in the case of the bump stock. And yes, it is a machine gun. So, uh, and then when the window closes, they rule and make a decision. This also kind of comes back to the rule of lenity, where when there's ambiguity in the law, then the tie goes to the defendant. So if somebody's been arrested for something that, you know, there's not settled law and good case law about, and by the way, that's the case in Massachusetts, big time around the assault weapons ban and this post 
Mora Healy 2016 thing. So all the stuff that happened in 2016 with Mora Healy, people have continued to build AR-15s, AK-47s. They've continued to own and, um, you know, uh, acquire these guns through parts and building them and, you know, even the home-built firearms thing. And so this whole lack of case law leaves um, a potential for somebody to be arrested and charged with felonies uh, in a post-Healy world. And in the way the rule of lenity works is around this ambiguity, whenever there's ambiguity in the in the law, you have to throw it out. You have to defer to the defendant because uh, the government has to prove at a much higher level of scrutiny that that they are acting within the constitutional authority or constitutional provisions. And they can't do that when with ambiguous laws, right? So when in doubt, you throw it out. You've heard Mark Smith from Four Boxes Diner say that before, but that's the way it's supposed to work. This also, this whole bump stock bill, uh, Cargill v. Garland, talks about, uh, well, it kind of strikes at the root, not as much as the rule of lenity, but it also strikes at the root of the um, the three-letter agency's ability through the Chevron doctrine to, to continue to write these rules and change these rules. Um, you know, it's not so much the case as some of the other ones, but it, it really is. And it, it wasn't really, the oral arguments weren't really heard in that light, unfortunately. Uh, and the subject matter seemed to get off track quickly. I didn't get to listen to it, but I've tried to skim through some of the key points of it. And really what they they got into pretty quick was the the nuance of is it a machine gun or not? What does one pull of the trigger mean? What is, you know, all this stuff? And uh, so there's an article on this um, in on Bearing Arms by John Crump. And uh, again, it's just a quick overview. So uh, we'll talk about it real quick. Uh, today, today, the Supreme Court of the United States heard oral arguments in Cargill v. Garland, which will determine the legality of bump stocks across the country. Michael Cargill, a Texas resident, sued the federal government over the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms rule banning bump stocks and declaring them to be machine guns. The rule was created at the urging of then-President Donald Trump after a Las Vegas shooting in which the shooter allegedly used an AR-15 equipped with a bump stock to kill 50 people in 2017. Instead of Congress passing a new law, the ATF created a new administrative rule, changing its longstanding opinion that bump stocks are not machine guns. Let me just stop right there. There's been a devices in this manner or way since the late 80s, maybe even earlier than that. Uh, they kind of reached their heyday, I would say, in 93, 94, with like Hellfire Trigger and these types of triggers that you could add to the gun that basically did what the bump stock did. Um, and let's put it this way, what the bump stock does, you don't even need a stock to do it. It was a novelty item. It was a piece of plastic that was probably a $50 stock that came with like a $250 ATF letter saying this is not a machine gun. Um, same thing with some of these triggers. 
like Hellfire Trigger, et cetera, et cetera, that created this static situation where the recoil of the gun with forward pressure on the handguard would bump your finger so that it's pressing the trigger continually. For those who are in the know, we used to do this all the time at the range with a belt loop. So you, you hook your thumb through your belt loop and pull forward on the handguard and the result's the same. You don't need the scary bump stock. There's other people out there who've done it with a rubber band. They hook the rubber band around their finger and around the hook of their finger. And so you can do this a number of different ways. You don't need a piece of plastic to do it. But so that's one thing that really shows the ludicrousy of this whole situation. But anyway, back to the story. Uh, Congress was unwilling to enact a, a law banning the device. Many in the gun community took issue with the Bureau's action and claimed that they overstepped their power and made a de facto law. Mr. Cargill lost in a Texas federal district court and appealed to the court's decision to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. The en banc of the Fifth Circuit sided with Cargill by a 13 to 3 margin, citing that the ATF violated the Administrative Procedures Act. Although that was key in the Fifth Circuit case, that issue did not arise in the oral arguments before SCOTUS. You know what? I'm just going to share my screen too while I'm doing this because uh, you can read along with me. Um, so uh, let's see if I can get it full screen. Um, Mr. Cargill lost in a Texas federal district court and appealed to the, the court's decision to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And this is one case where the en banc of the Fifth Circuit uh, got it right. They side, sided with Cargill, which, by the way, the Fifth Circuit's probably one of the best pro-gun circuits in the country. Um, they sided with Cargill by a 13 to 3 margin, citing that the ATF violated the Administrative Procedures Act, although that was key in the Fifth Circuit case, that issue did not arise in the oral arguments before SCOTUS. So that's one of the things I, I, I've been trying to explain is their, this whole Administrative Procedures Act is how they make that rule change. And, you know, this is what where the whole concept of Chevron doctrine comes in. And, and uh, this is how they administratively uh, affect a rule change. But anyway, uh, it's it's sad that that didn't become the, the reason for this in front of the SCOTUS uh, today. The argument before the Supreme Court centers around what a single function of the trigger is. The government insists that a single function of the trigger is the original pull and any action after the pull of the trigger. The government lawyer also argued that the forestock is part of a trigger. Isn't that funny? The forestock is part of the trigger. Okay. The plaintiffs claim that the function of the trigger is limited to the mechanical action of the trigger itself. The lawyers for Mr. Cargill stated that since the user must manually push forward on the stock, shooting multiple rounds using a bump stock is not automatic and does not convert the firearm into a machine gun. Justice Samuel Alito seemed to agree with the plaintiffs and asked why the releasing of the hammer by the seer was not considered the function of the trigger. Judge Clarence Thomas also seemed hostile towards the government's decision to reclassify bump stocks as machine guns. The other conservative justices didn't seem to be in the same camp. Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson 
was openly hostile towards the plaintiff's stance. She tried to state that if something makes the gun fire rapidly, it should be a machine gun. She seemed unfamiliar with the firearm operation and firearm technology and Jerry Michalik's finger. Um, Justice Sotomayor tried to argue that it isn't about the function of the trigger, but it's about the function of the shooter. I did hear some of the oral arguments around that, which made no sense. Justice Sotomayor seemed to be arguing that bump stocks violate the spirit of the law rather than the actual text of the National Firearms Act. And I did hear um, the attorney for Cargill saying how, yeah, that, um, you know, you can't base it on the functions or actions of the shooter because there's people who can pull a trigger dang fast and can get to near full auto rate of fire just by on a semi-automatic rifle. So that would be ridiculous. Now we're going to have to pay a $200 tax stamp for people with good trigger fingers. I remember back in the paintball heyday when I used to play paintball, there were guys um, it, that were pro paintballers that could actually shoot 20 balls per second, 20 rounds per second in the paintball world. Now, granted, they didn't have recoil and they had uh, like a paddle type of trigger, but still, um, that's, that's almost, that's faster than the rate of fire of a lot of machine guns. Um, let's see, uh, justice, uh, Elena Kagan through multiple hypothetical arguments, tried to imply that the bump stock is a device designed to circumnavigate the law regarding machine guns. Okay. I, maybe that doesn't sound far-fetched. Whenever you tell someone they can't have something, they're going to figure out a way to do it. Justice Kagan even asked about a voice-activated trigger, which doesn't exist. She seemed to be taking the stance of Sotomayor. The plaintiff's lawyer spent most of the time being grilled by the justices over the arguments. It is hard to determine what the conservative justices will do in the case, but there's no doubt what the liberal justices will do. So this could probably be a 6-3 loss or a 5-4 loss. Um, it might be a 5-4 victory. You never know. Um, but there you have that. That's uh, It's one of those things that uh, could certainly go either way. But I, I'm sad that the whole spirit of the conversation was around what a machine gun is when really it should have been around what the ATF did and how they did it. So I guess we're back to the Loper Bright case as far as waiting on that one to see how the future of Chevron doctrine is, uh, whether or not these executive bureaucratic agencies will be able to continue to write law because um, that's the net result of what they do. In fact, I think that's a better juxtaposition to actually, if they're splitting hairs about the nuance of what a machine gun is, let's split hairs about the nuance of what a law creation is. That's, I know, what the is at the center of the Loper-Bright case, the fishing vessel case that's challenging the, the Chevron doctrine. But don't you think there's more legitimacy to that argument than to what makes it a machine gun? The the fact remains, like, uh, if you can get something to press the trigger faster, whether it's through exercising your own 
whether it's through a GAT crank or whether it's through a um, binary trigger or whether it's through a uh, rare breed trigger or a bump stock, the bottom line is the, the law is the law. So if you can't uphold the law for what it is, you can't be trusted to do anything around the law because that's how society operates. If we're going to let executive agencies enforce ambiguous and arbitrary laws, because the other thing, side of this is who's been harmed? Where's the victim? I know you want to point to uh, the Las Vegas shooting that took place. There were lots of victims there, but I would argue that the fact that the guy was using a bump stock saved lives. A lot of people don't take that position. If you've ever shot full auto or you've ever shot a bump stock, I think you would agree with me that spraying with a bump stock is spraying and praying like you're spraying and in, you know, indiscriminately shooting into a crowd, the initial volley would probably be effective. But once the crowd starts to scatter, you're, you're just hoping at that point to hit your intended targets. Somebody with a uh, three power, four power magnifier at that distance or a LPVO um, with a AR and semi-auto would have the carnage could have been horrific. Um, doesn't even need to have been an AR, by the way. It could have been, you know, even a bolt-action rifle would have been really bad in that situation. Um, so all I'm saying is uh, the technology involved, if, if, and I'm, this is a big if, I'm putting my tinfoil hat on for a sec, if he was using a bump stock, because I've heard the audio of that, and frankly, it sounds like a belt-fed machine gun. Um, but if he was using a bump stock, then lives were saved that day as a result, not, not the other way around. But regardless, it's all a dumb argument anyway, because whenever an evil person uses something that the masses use legally, um, for evil doesn't disqualify the peaceful from exercising that right. It should never restrict the right of the peaceful, lawful citizen. It should only cause the person or those who actually commit that act to be tried and convicted and put away for longer periods of time. That's all I, you know, that's, that's the way I, I see it. But anyway, I'm going to take a quick break here. Uh, stay tuned. We've got a lot more to cover when we come back. I'm Toby Leary, and this is Rapid Fire. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. 
add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex optics today. And welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm Toby Leary. I'm your host, and I appreciate everybody who listens to this show each and every week, the Rapid Fire Faithful. By the way, if you want to talk to me today on the phone, you by all means can. The, the phone number is 508-444-2120. That's 508-444-2120. And I'll get you on the line with me if you have any questions or comments about anything we've talked about so far. Um, give us a call. And please, I want to, I don't do this often. I'm not very good at promoting myself or my channel, uh, but I would beg you, <laughs> you want to see a grown man cry, uh, to like, follow, subscribe, share, and comment on all of the channels that you find our content on. Uh, it'll help us uh, leg up, level up, you know, 10x growth uh, to, to the algorithm that, you know, this content is important to uh you and youtube will do its thing and everyone else plus we're also on rumble we're on twitch we're on twitter x um x is great i i've been i've seen more growth in that space in a year than i did have on most of my other social media channels in a long time so uh facebook we're kind of done um i can't even broadcast there except on the rapid fire page Excuse me. So if you've been following us on the Cape Gunworks Facebook page, please shift over to the Rapid Fire Facebook page because the I can't even comment. I see comments coming in. They're blocked. I can't respond to them. And we've been in Facebook jail now for way over a month. I think it's been about a month and a half. So uh, we got zucked on the Facebook side. And uh, I don't know how to get unzucked. <laughs> so I've been trying. So uh, let's see if, um, let's see if, uh, that happens, but, um, anyway, and we're on rumble and telegram. Um, I don't know if truth social, they used to have a streaming service there, but I haven't been able to figure out how to make that work. So one of these days we'll, we'll be everywhere here, there, and everywhere, but we're on the mainstream ones and some of the alt, alt ones. So please like, subscribe, follow, share, and comment uh, on any post. And I would be greatly appreciative of that. So, all right. So Cargill is, we're going to see what happens. I'm not getting a warm fuzzy that that's going to be a, that that's going to be a pro gun decision. And I don't think that it actually is a gun case per se. Um, but you know, it's, it's got all the, the makings of just this, I don't know that it's not going to happen. Uh, so anyway, uh, anti-bump stock justices prove they don't know how guns work. That's true. Um, that is, uh, one of, this is from uh, someone who replied to me on X from something I, I tweeted out. And uh, he 
says, Toby, one of our esteemed Supreme Court justices thinks bump stocks allow for weapons to shoot 700 rounds per second. Yeah, I heard that. Uh, I know Katanji Brown was was very concerned about um, 800 rounds being discharged. And I think the the lawyer for the for Cargill said, well, um, there's like 50 round mags, but that doesn't mean, you know, it's going to shoot 800 rounds all of a sudden. It's going to still only hold 50 rounds. So anyway, and I also heard him say we allow for 50 round mags. It's like allow? No, freedom allows for it. You, you know, the government doesn't allow anything. Uh, unfortunately, that they've flip-flopped on that as well. But um, I would like to see uh, I would like to see us get back to the original intent of the Second Amendment. Period. Um, all right, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, I mentioned this yesterday um, that the house this is getting back to massachusetts news the house has rejected the language the senate passed in s2584 so a couple days ago the massachusetts house of representatives held an informal session with only a handful of members present during the session the house voted not to concur or support the language passed by the Senate. This was an expected move as the House Judiciary Chair, Michael Day and Speaker Mariano, would likely fight for the most egregious of the two bills, the worst of two evils. The House then appointed Reps Day of Stoneham, surprise, surprise, and Gonzalez of Springfield, another anti-gun political hack, and McKenna of Webster to a conference committee to work out the details of the final bill with the Senate, should they appoint conferences, con conferees as well. Um, it's expected that uh, we'll hear from them by the end of this week. If the conference committee is fully established, all work will be done in secret. Traditionally, no one from outside of the committee members is allowed to sit in or even listen to the deliberations. They will have until the end of the formal session on July 31st, 2024 to complete their tasks and offer a final bill for an up or down vote for the House and Senate with no further debate or hearings, even if the bill is drastically changed. So they're going to come out of their closed doors session with what the final bill is going to look like. They're going to have an up or down vote and then send it to Maura Healy's desk if it passes. Um, so this is really, really crucial that we continue to keep our foot on the gas pedal. Keep reminding our politicians, our because we've got one more bite at the apple. If they do, you know, sit a conference committee, the set all the all we're waiting on right now is the Senate, and then they will get together in an informal session. And it sounds like it'll be six people total. It'll be the three I just mentioned from the House and the three from the Senate. I have a sneaky suspicion 
Cynthia Cream will be on that, who headed up the Senate's legislation. Um, I'm not sure if Nick Collins will make the cut on that. Uh, maybe Senator Brownsberger from Boston, because uh, he's a senior ranking member. Um, and that I might be okay with, by the way, um, because I feel that he understands some of the nuance of it, even though he voted for it and he's a Democrat. He, there's going to be two Democrats and one Republican on the Senate, but uh, who knows who that second Democrat will be. And the third will be probably Bruce Tarr, the minority leader who already voted favorably on the Senate bill, which is just ridiculous after all the grandstanding. And, you know, so to me, um, as far as the senators are con concerned, uh, Bruce Tarr should not be getting off the hook lightly on this. And I bet you 20 bucks he is nervous about his reelection campaign, about his reelection bid. I hope somebody good can primary him. The only problem with that is he's the minority leader. He's been there. So somebody comes along, primaries him, and uh, who can really whip people up into a frenzy and get him primaried out and then runs in the general and loses to the Democrat. Now we have, we're back to uh, 37 to 3 in the, in the Senate. But then again, if Bruce Tarr is going to vote with the Democrats, well, who gives a crap? You know, I mean, we're already effectively 37 to 3. And, you know, I get the impression that Tar was looking for a way to support this and still come out smelling like a rose with his constituents saying it's not as bad as it could have been. That's a problem. You know, this bill has nothing redeeming about it. The entire bill, the House or the Senate bill, needs to go into the ash heap of bad ideas. And, you know, that's where it should go. Um, but the fact that he grandstanded on such a uh, big scale, tried to get it bumped, said there was no hearings, this shouldn't be voted on, it's premature, uh, the, this bill hasn't been debated, and blah, 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 and then voted for it anyway, is just insulting. So the point I'm trying to make in all of this is the Democrats and the Republicans alike, the senators and the House of Representatives alike, are worried about their reelection bid. Here on the Cape, we've already had three reps not seek reelection. They're just not going to seek it, period. Um, so there's three open seats. And those are Democrat seats. Um, there, I think there's more than that that are nervous that they are. They have to go campaign on this gun bill because that's going to be hammering them over the head, and our illegal immigration problem. Those are two huge issues looming over them right now. All it's going to take is a Democrat or a Republican to come in and say. I would have never voted for that bill. And I oppose this type of illegal immigration. And I will do whatever it takes to work with ICE, to work with our federal government, to get people uh, deported or 
into a system or something somewhere other than Massachusetts that is bankrupting our state because it's turned into billions of dollars for our state. And so not to get down a rabbit trail on illegal immigration, but the, the bottom line is um, it is a public safety issue. There's people out there that are nervous. Uh, South Boston right now is their head is spinning because they're just building a huge migrant shelter in South Boston right now. And they're like, what, what, you know, and you reap what you've sown. Like this is, these are the people who voted these people in and then you get what you deserve, right? You, you, you want to be a sanctuary city. You want to be a, um, you know, or a right to housing state. Then this is what you get. You get what you get and now live with the consequences. And I think that this would be a huge opportunity. This is an election year. And the two issues that they are most nervous about is the gun bill and the immigration issue bill. Call them, write them, troll them on social media, and email them about those two issues. And if they have another bite at the apple, this might go away. I'm just saying. Why would you, if you already have one that you're not going to fix, the illegal immigration problem, why would you shoot both feet and make the gun issue worse? Like, why would you make your re-election re -election bid that much worse if, you know, you're in a district where gun owners are upset at how you voted on this and you're going to just continue to uh, shoot yourself in the foot and vote for it? 13 Democrats sided with the Republicans on the House side and Every Republican held the line on the House side. On the Senate side, we have four Republicans and one lost his mind, the House Minority Leader, and went across the aisle and voted with the with the senators, uh, the Democrat senators, to infringe upon your right to keep and bear arms. Insanity, total insanity. Um, you know, it's it's amazing how we can't even. Uh, we can't even hold four people together. Anyway, um, we will be right back after this. Uh, you're listening to Rapid Fire, and uh, I'm Toby Leary, so don't go away. we got a ton more to talk about, plus your calls and your comments are coming up. So we'll be right back after this. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly shows. Oops, sorry. Got a whole video playing over here. Uh, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm your host, Toby Leary. And I appreciate you guys listening each and every week. Uh, I dropped in the chat early on um, that link to... Uh, or the address for the USCCA, which you just saw an ad for. So if you're not 
a member, you should be. And uh, it's rap. It's uh, uscca.co forward slash rapid fire. All right. So um, getting back to what we were talking about, um, you can check out goal.org, which is keeping everybody up to date about that conference committee and uh, and whatnot. And so hopefully, um, hopefully you guys will stay up to date on that. Um, there's tons of other stuff going on out there in uh, litigant world or litigation about all kinds of other gun uh, bills and gun bans and, uh, you know, challenges. We got the 18 to 20 year old um, in several states. Uh, we have um, the four cases being sought for cert before the Supreme Court on uh, assault weapons ban and uh, and uh, what do you call it? The um, uh, the magazine capacity ban uh, and FPC sent out a uh, a thing about all the assault weapons ban lawsuits that they have right now. They have two um, before the Supreme Court being sought for cert. Uh, the Bianchi v. Brown, Harrell versus Raul, um, which is the Illinois one. The Bianchi v. Brown is the one from Maryland, which I think will be granted cert. If I, any of those four will be, it, it should be that because the Bianchi v. Brown has already had a final judgment um, in before the circuit court and was already up to the Supreme Court at the same time as Bruin. And it was GVR'd. It was granted cert. It was remanded back to the, uh, what is that, the Fourth Circuit, I think, and um, or the Third Circuit. And it was vacated. The decision of the circuit court was vacated. So that one's kind of packaged up, ready to go. The Harold v. Raul, the Illinois case, is with two other cases. There's a GOA and a Nagger case, as well as the FPC that are all being sought cert before the Supreme Court right now. Um, so that's huge. Uh, but those are all interlocutory cases. They have not received a final judgment. So um, we it remains to be seen what what will happen in those cases. Um, the but the that circuit, I think it's the seventh circuit, is sitting on them. They're just sitting on their hands basically because uh, I I believe um, the one of them uh, it might be the Raul case was before the three judge panel of the seventh circuit. And guess what? They never got to hear Well, they never got to issue their decision on it because the circuit court stepped in and said, we're going to hear this on banc after an entire year had been wasted. So they're playing games. So that's why uh, FPC decided to just cut to the chase, try to get it right to the Supreme court and bypass the, uh, because the Supreme Court wasn't happy and said on in those uncertain terms, like you can't just not hear these cases. You got to pay attention and you got to act accordingly. Miller v. Bonta is a Ninth Circuit decision, which we've heard um, in uh, 
California. That was the Southern District of California that Judge Roger T. Benitez ruled favorably for the Second Amendment on. And it was going up to the Ninth Circuit. Uh, the Bonta appealed it. Gary, Gavin Newsom appealed it. And uh, it was supposed to go to the three-judge panel, which voted to uphold the uh, to concur with Justice Benitez's opin opinion the first time, but they didn't want another favorable decision for a uh, weapons ban case in California. So they just said, you know what? The three judge panel is going to go by the wayside and we're going to, we're going to just uh, rule on this um, ourselves on bonk. Yeah. So they did something that is very rarely done if ever. I mean, I think, the last time this had been done is like in the 20s or 30s with the Ninth Circuit. And the crazy thing is the Ninth Circuit is so huge that it's really going to be an 11-judge panel. But anyway, not to re-talk about all that. So that one is still pending. That's kind of the same situation that's happening in um, in Illinois, the way I see it, um, that they're just kind of sitting on it. But maybe they'll hear it and it, it'll go quickly. I don't know. Then there's Cheeseman v. Uh, Plankin in New Jersey, which is pending oral arguments or a decision on summary judgment. Um, then we have Lane v. Roca in New York. A motion to dismiss was denied and motion for summary judgment is due 315 of 24. So that's something to look forward to. Hartford v. Ferguson. These are all assault weapons ban cases, by the way. In Washington is on hold pending Miller v. Bonta decision. So uh, that's, you know, a state, uh, a circuit court that's looking at what's going to go on with Miller v. Bonta. Gray v. Jennings in Delaware, oral arguments are scheduled for 3-11-24. And the Vera Montes v. Cook County, Illinois, pending decision due to federal Illinois assault weapons ban lawsuits. So these are all just FPC cases, um, which is amazing, you know, uh, not so they've been busy and uh, they say that it has kept the lawsuit printer busy. And uh, so the, the Supreme Court really does need to just step in, in my opinion, and rule on this. That's what we need. One, one other thing that before we go to your comments that is near and dear to my heart is something I predicted. Uh, you could go back and watch the tapes. Uh, I predicted this a couple of years ago when Joe Biden got together and forged his zero tolerance task force. Um, and originally it was sold to the American people and the public as trying to shut down these rogue gun dealers that are illegally selling guns. And so they came up with this zero tolerance policy. I said, this is going to be just like the gun walking scheme and the illegal unconstitutional storefront entrapment schemes that the ATF have done in the past. And when this zero tolerance task force can't find gun dealers engaged in the practice of dealing guns, you know, for a business who are willing to put everything on the line 
and sell guns illegally out the back door to gangs and to criminals and to uh, undercover government agents, because <laughs> that's really who it would be, uh, when they won't find them who are willing to you know, compromise their entire life's work for a quick buck on the street, then they're going to shift their focus towards minor uh, record-keeping violations that the ATF themselves can't hold themselves to this standard. And they're going to hold gun dealers to an absolutely unattainable standard. And whenever there's minor, minor clerical errors that don't result in illegal activity, that don't result in criminals obtaining guns, that don't result in lost or stolen firearms, that don't result in prohibited people getting guns, they're going to crack down on the dealer and say all these clerical errors or these minor uh, record-keeping errors are proof that these dealers are illegally selling guns and they don't have to tell the public what the illegal activity is. They're just going to say, oh, we're shutting down XYZ FFL for illegally selling guns. And the illegal gun selling activity is going to be a minor clerical error that they had been warned about in a prior warning conference. But again, based on human error, and no matter how good your software is, you can make an error, right? And again, the ATF can't keep this level of accuracy on their own, but they're going to require of gun dealers to do something that they themselves cannot do. And it's going to result in a huge uptick in ATF, uh, FFL revocations. So today, uh, I'm sorry, a couple of days ago, the NSSF, uh, Larry Keene wrote um, about this. And he said, when President Joe Biden says he'll wield his authority like a flailing hammer against the firearms manufacturers, believe him. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms and Explosives released updated data for inspections, warning letters and revocations of FFL firearms licensees, and the news is disturbing. The campaign to shutter firearms retailers over minor clerical errors called zero tolerance policy is having devastating effects on small businesses and the ability for law-abiding citizens to exercise their Second Amendment rights by freely approaching a firearm retailer for a purchase. ATF revoked 157 federal firearms licenses in 2023 following an inspection. That's up from 88 licenses revoked in 2022 and five in the last six months of 2021. Reports show that 165 FFLs were able to maintain their licenses following a revocation hearing in 2023. That was up from 83 in 2022 in just one in the last six months of 2021. The final statistic is the most daunting. 80 FFLs voluntarily surrendered their licenses in 2023 rather than endure the costly and painstaking process of clearing a business's name due to what many are at times minor clerical errors. That was up from 69 in 2022 and 24 in the last six months of 2021. There's more. ATF took the unprecedented move to name and shame 
businesses that saw their licenses revoked or that ceased operations. That's an overtly political maneuver to satisfy gun control advocates who clamor to falsely smear business owners as bad apples, when many times it is clerical errors in records that cause them to run afoul of inspections. Name and shame. ATF also published the names of businesses when inspections didn't result in a license revocation. These include settlement agreements, warning conferences, and FFLs voluntarily ceasing operations. In 2023, there were just one settlement agreement, 19 warning conferences held, and one FFL that voluntarily ceased operations. Compare that with 2022, when there was one settlement agreement, 10 warning conferences, and one FFL voluntarily ceasing operations in the last six months of 2021. When there were no settlements, agreements, four warning conferences, and no FFLs, voluntarily ceasing operations. So if all this adds up to the ATF carrying out a politically driven agenda to drive firearms retailers out of business rather than the ATF inspection processes being used as it was designed to assist firearm retailers to operate their lawful business in compliance with the laws and regulations governing the sale of firearms. Since taking office, the Biden administration announced zero tolerance policy when it comes to firearms retailer inspections. A single violation can be interpreted as breaking the law, and the 1968 Gun Control Act allows ATF to revoke a federal firearms license for a single violation. Previous to the Biden administration, however, minor clerical errors found during inspections were annotative for corrective actions with ATF inspectors, including firearm retailers on uh, instructing firearm retailers on how to stay within the regulations and laws. That's no longer the case. Instead, the using the ATF as a government bureau to assist the firearms industry to stay within regulations, President Biden and his ATF have turned it into a steel trap by which they snare firearms retailers to run them out of business. This is exactly what the former ATF acting director, Michael Sullivan, warned when he publicly opposed David Chipman as President, President Biden's nominee for ATF director. He warned that Chipman, a former gun control lobbyist, would inject a political agenda into an agency that must be apolitical. ATF's role in and of itself presents a significant challenge. The Bureau doesn't exist to diminish constitutionally guaranteed rights, but instead to combat violent crime and ensure that the industry and gun owners are able to freely exercise their rights within the laws enacted by Congress. Sullivan wrote in a Fox News editorial, ATF's reputation is dependent on remaining a political, unbiased, and fair law enforcement and regulatory agency. That fair treatment and respect for fundamental liberties begins at the top. The agents and inspectors in the field deserve nothing less than the American public, whether gun owners or not, deserve equal treatment. Don't forget, Sullivan was removed from his post for basically trying to come alongside the the FFLs and the in the gun industry and manufacturers to try to all work together. Like we all want the same thing, right? That guns don't fall in the hands of criminals. So he came alongside and tried to educate them on how to a not run afoul, b, you know, what does a straw purchase look like? C, um this is what you can do to ensure that guns don't fall into the hands of criminals and he started working with FFLs. And the Biden administration lost their stuff over it. So um, anyway, 
back to the story. Zero tolerance policies with regard to firearms retailer inspections damages the cooperative trust between retailers and ATF agents who are working to keep guns from being illegally purchased and trafficked. Firearms retailers are on the front lines of partnering with the ATF to keep firearms from getting into the wrong hands. The majority of tips ATF receives on suspected illegal gun trafficking comes from receivers. Don't forget the interview we did with Mike Deddy um, uh, probably about a year ago. If you haven't seen that one, you want to look that up. That was Operation Wide Receiver. I got to meet Mike at SHOT Show this year when I was walking around with G-Webs, and uh, we we talked to him briefly, but um, he was a busy man with a whole entourage, but he was one of those guys that tried to do the right thing and come forward and tip off the ATF about potential illegal gun trafficking and and boy, did they try to railroad him for his, for his, uh, for his, you know, uh, good deeds. Let's put it that way. Um, the Biden administration has weaponized the ATF as a tool to dismantle the firearm industry instead of preserving the relationship of the agency that regulates the firearm industry to operate lawfully. Zero tolerance has unfortunately damaged the cooperation between firearm retailers and ATF special agents. Peter J. Forcelli, a retired ATF deputy assistant director and whistleblower who helped bring the ATF's disastrous and ill-fated operation Fast and Furious, lamented the punishment the Biden administration has levied against firearms retailers. The gun dealers were out our first line of defense against gun trafficking, Forcelli told the New York Post in August of 2023. When license revocations were reported to have skyrocketed 350% in the first nine months of that year compared to 2022, why are we now beating an ally into submission? Help may soon be on the way. U.S. Rep. Tracy Mann, Republican of Kansas, introducing the Reining in Federal Licensing Enforcement Act, or also known as RIFLE, is H.R. 7042. The legislation would protect federal firearm licensees from being forced out of business by ATF's overreaching directives. The bill would clearly define a willful violation, ensure that ATF works with firearm retailers to comply with regulations before revoking a license, allow for a review and appeal for an administrative judge, uh, and allow the, those whose licenses were revoked to reapply for new licenses under the new willful definition. Rep. Mann's Rifle Act would restore that necessary and trusted relationship between the lawful firearms industry and the ATF to remain compliant without concern that politically motivated policies would be wielded to deny the lawful sale of a firearm to a citizen exercising their Second Amendment rights. Similar legislation is expected to be introduced on the Senate. So that's good news. There's someone trying to do something about it because, frankly, it is... Uh, and let me back up a little bit on this because what goes hand in hand with why those dealers decided to just surrender their license is when gun sales are soft and the ATF is threatening you and you got to lawyer up and you can't afford to lawyer up. And what's the point if you can't pay the bills anyway? Um, it's, it's times like this when there's this much hostility towards gun dealers that you support your local gun shop. Uh, they need you more than ever. And frankly, um, without gun stores, it's impossible to buy 
guns, right? Obviously, you can do them private, privately and whatnot, but um, <clears throat> it's it's really important to uh, continue to support your local gun dealer uh, because otherwise, you know, they they are always one step out of ATF hell, and they're doing their best. They're trying their hardest to be in compliance, and all the while government's trying to shut them down so all right good deal demolition daddy he says uh i've convinced him he's buying another boomstick thank god we got one uh so anyway we will be right back after this you're listening to rapid fire i'm toby leary federal ammunition is 100 this is where the american ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit Hard work united with patriotism and technology blended with new ideas. That's federal ammunition. Right here in Anoka, Minnesota, born in 1922, made in America, and proud to be the best. Federal ammunition, a century of innovation, and we're only getting started. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary. And this is your weekly show, All Things Guns, Freedom, Second Amendment, and Self-Defense, sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA, uh, not to mention Federal Ammunition, which we just heard from. Uh, so we're really excited to be uh, bringing this content to you each and every week. So please support the sponsors that support this show, and that'll help us uh, continue to bring you great and excellent content. I'm having trouble with the uh, Gun of the Week video, so I hope I can get this um, to open without too much trouble. So I'm going to try and share this with you right now. Um, but let me see if I can make it happen um, because it's showing as a corrupted file. Uh, uh, this is a good one, too. I want you guys to see it. It's the SIG MCX Spear LT, which I haven't had much um, luck keeping in stock. And it's also um, going to, we're going to start a new series called, um, that's going to be called Good Alternatives to the AR 15 in Massachusetts. This might be the truest one-to-one -one, uh, AR-15 alternative in Massachusetts. Uh, it is the, has all the controls and buttons and levers and switches in the right place. Um, and, uh, you know, similar to an AR-15, but it's not an AR-15. And I get tons of people come in my shop all the time and they're like, wait a minute, what? Like, you can sell that? I thought you couldn't sell that. Well, how come you can sell that but not sell an AR-15? Blows people's minds. And uh, they just can't figure it out. So, um, you know, the, the bottom line is because it's not an AR-15. So that's right it's not an ar-15 so i can sell it um but the, you know 
there's a lot of people that don't understand the nuance around that. So we're just trying to get that all dialed in. So I'm going to start doing some videos uh, on that. But let's see if I can get this video to work because it's a good one. Well, I say it's a good one anyway. Uh, here we go. From Cape Gunworks here, and it's time for another Gun of the Week. So this week's Gun of the Week is none other than the SIG MCX Spear LT. I love this gun because, in my opinion, it is the closest thing to an AR without being an AR. So it's kind of one-to-one as far as the where the safety is, the charging handle is, the mag release is, the bolt catch is. So if you're used to the AR-15 platform, but you want to buy a modern sporting rifle that's legal in Massachusetts, the SIG MCX Spear LT might be the one for you. It's cheaper than a pre-ban and already has everything you're going to do to your pre-ban to make it modern, if you will. So it's got the M-Lock rail all the way around uh, the handguard. They changed the shape of the handguard from the prior version of the MCX to the LT Spear. It's more of like an oval shape or a teardrop shape. It feels really good in the hand. And this is something that I'm really excited about as far as Massachusetts compliance is concerned because I don't have to pin it for length anymore. It's a stock that doesn't adjust for length of pull, which may or may not make you upset because you can't pick where, where you want it pinned. But I like the fact that I only have to do one thing to it. And frankly, it's at a good length. It's kind of in that mid-range. It's not all the way back or all the way collapsed. It's probably the middle somewhere. So in my opinion, it's a very good length for multi-purpose reasons. It has QD swing swivels built into the lower receiver, the stock, and of course, because of the M-lock attachment points, you can put one out on the front of the handguard for a two-point sling attachment. The break from the handguard to the upper receiver is actually way out here. So this is more like a monolithic handguard as it relates to mounting of optics. So there's no break right here where the traditional AR-15 is where the upper meets the handguard, that's way out here. So the fact is you have a very long Picatinny rail that's machined into the upper receiver. So you don't have any type of break point between the handguard and the upper receiver as far as mounting optics goes. It's got ambi safety, bolt catch, charging handle, and mag release. So both sides of the gun, they came up with this really slick bolt catch and bolt release right here on the right side of the gun. So that's interesting and cool. One of the other great features about this gun is the fact that it takes AR-15 magazines. So if you have post-ban or pre-ban AR-15 mags, they're gonna work great, whether the polymer or the Stenag metal mags, they work great in this gun. Also, one other feature is you can change calibers pretty easily with a caliber conversion kit. Uh, there's a couple screws under the handguard and you can take the barrel off and change to 300 blackout or 762 by 39. So this gun, in my opinion, probably one of the best AR alternatives that we can sell. So if you want to check it out, go to our website, capegunworks.com or rapidfireradio.us. Scroll down to Gun of the Week and use code GOW at checkout for a very special savings if you want one of these. And frankly, they just don't last. So the fact that I'm actually running a special on them is silly. 
because it's not going to be here for long. So check it out. And thanks for tuning in. I'm Toby, and we'll see you on Rapid Fire Radio. All righty, there you have that. Um, I enjoy making those videos. People think I do those just to be salesy and try to open up the door for one more sales opportunity. Of course I do. Uh, yes, I'm trying to sell product, but there's a strict criteria to gun of the week. And that is, A, it has to interest me. And if it doesn't, it's never going to make gun of the week. It's not going to be a gun that's I want to feature and focus on and bring attention to and show you what I think is cool about it. So there you have it, the <laughs> the gun of the week. Let's get to the questions in the chat. Um, I hope uh, I haven't been following at all along because I've been monologuing and just completely ignoring you guys the whole show. Uh, that's not true. I, uh, I appreciate everybody, <laughs> but I have been reading a lot of articles and, uh, you guys are like, wow, Toby can read. That's really good. He's got a seventh grade education, which is not true. I have like a ninth grade of education. So, um, I, I did go to a technical high school and, uh, so you can read into it as, as much or as little as you want. Um, Mad Max is talking about when I was talking about the bump stock case um, and Trump is pro 2A and our only hope if we want to save our country, Trump 2024. I will say that Trump is pro 2A from the kind of Ronald Reagan to what pro 2A is. Like a guy who was kind of pro 2A in theory, but when it came time to be political, sometimes politics won out. A lot of times politics won out in the case of Ronald Reagan. Um, but, you know, I still go back and forth on the, we all know him to be what? A negotiator, a deal maker. He went to the NRA, said, what should I do? They said, get rid of the bump stock. We could care less. It's a novelty item. But the bigger picture is it's a regulation on firearms and now created this mess with the ATF, giving them all this power that they think they have. So to me, that makes it like, okay. On the other hand, I'm like, stand up for the eight, for the Second Amendment. Just stop negotiating our rights away in any way, shape, or form. Let's get back to shall not be infringed. Not, not one more inch. All right? Hawaii just had a situation, and this the reason I'm bringing this up is because it goes along these lines, where this Hawaii gun rights group is... Um, taking a victory lap on gun control legislation that just passed. You think Massachusetts is a blue state? Look at Hawaii. They only have two state senators. We have four state senators that are Republican. Hawaii has two. And 
there was assault weapons ban and mag capacity ban in a current bill that this gun rights group in Hawaii was able to get taken out of the Senate, which was the harder task at hand. They have more support in the House than they do in the Senate. They were able to get it removed from the language of the gun control legislation that's about to go into effect. They also had, uh, well, I shouldn't say that the magazine capacity ban came out. It went from 10 rounds to 20 rounds. So they're limiting 20 rounds instead of 10. But they're actually doing a victory lap here. They're saying this is a major win, even though the gun control is going through. So sometimes things got to get worse before they get better. I've said that a number of times around the Bruin case. Right after the Bruin case came out on this show, I predicted that things are about to get worse in Massachusetts before they get better because they know, and when I say they, I mean the politicians that are doing a temper tantrum as a result of the Bruin decision, they know gun control's days are numbered. Um, that one Bruin decision alone should be enough to destroy all mod modern gun control. If you got judges that act in accordance with the Bruin decision, then it would be a quick turnaround. The problem is we still have justices like Judge Saylor in Massachusetts, a federal district court judge who ruled in favor of the state's assault weapons ban. This is a Nagger case here in Massachusetts. Uh, saying it's consistent with our nation's history and tradition. Hmm. Of course, he didn't cite any arms ban cases from our nation's founding period from the 18th century, but he said it's consistent. So he's obviously an unfaithful um, judge who has no problem uh, violating his oath of office in his official capacity as a as a judge and he has ruled unfavorably um on the second amendment a right that is enumerated and enshrined in our constitution in our bill of rights so uh if those judges are removed like we also have the judge the superior court judges in um hawaii that reversed uh course on the uh basically saying that arms ban cases can continue to be the the state's ban on them can be upheld uh and called out the supreme court of the united states and said they got it wrong with bruin it's like uh no one's asking you and you're obviously weighing in on it's like that uh Remember that viral video that went around a few years ago where the little kid's mother's telling him to listen and, and the kid's going, listen, Linda, listen to me, Linda, listen to me. You know, he's talking back to his mother. That's what that is. That's the Hawaii Superior Court talking to the Supreme Court. They're going, Linda, listen to me, listen to me. You know, <laughs> it's just unbelievable. But all right, back to the chat. 
Missouri has an interesting case being challenged by the federal courts. It is a nullification effort. Yeah, that's a that one's going to fail. <laughs> I hate to say it, but uh, it's an interesting case nonetheless, and I love it. But basically, it's saying um, the, the, the Supreme Court's looking at this with a hairy eyeball, as far as I'm concerned. But um, it's basically a case where the state has passed law that says um, it will not allow its law enforcement agencies to enforce unconstitutional Second Amendment law, even, um, you know, federal law. So uh, I don't see state agencies charging people with federal law too much anyway, but I like the concept of it. It's like a Second Amendment, um, Second Amendment uh, Preservation Act, I think is what it's called or something like that. Anyway, uh, bump stock thing, a compromise. We always lose on compromises. I agree. And we're losing big time right now when it, when it comes to the frame and receivers and uh, the unfinished, uh, I'm sorry, uh, and the bump stock and the arm brace cases. We're losing on all three of those. However, we'll, we'll eventually win. It's just going to take some time. Ditch the hat. Let the people see that movie star hair. Yeah, bad hair day today, brother. I'm not going to torment the the viewers with, with that. Machine guns should not be restricted. Let's quit playing label games and just repeal the NFA altogether. Amen to that. Um, I can't argue with that. Uh, the NFA should go away. Uh, the ATF should too, frankly. It is an affront to freedom in every way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, I do, don't get me started. The fact that Al Capone could have still purchased 32,000 restricted items legally with his current wealth, NFA didn't stop the government-created problem. Uh, it just disarmed the average Joe by making it prohibitively expensive. Exactly. I mean, that's the result of all gun control, right? Um, is, okay, you make it cost-prohibitive for the average person to own a firearm, but then the wealthy criminal enterprise can continue to own them or buy them on the black market or manufacture them if they're that smart, you know? So, um, uh, yeah, shadow ban. Jason saying, my viewers says I have zero viewers, but I'm currently watching shadow ban much? <laughs> 100%. That's why I say comment, subscribe, like, share, spread the word far and wide. Um, Let's see. If you can shoot fast like Jerry, you get charged with shooting in a manner like a machine gun. Don't give him any ideas, ASD. Um, let's see. Uh, a comment in the chat on Jared's live stream during the oral arguments that does anyone remember that the military lost two M240s a short time before the Las Vegas shooting? Inquiring what minds want to know. Um, let's see. That's why I won't run at three miles per hour because I don't want to have fun for, <laughs> have to run for an hour. That's right. Yeah, good point. Um, <laughs> uh, that link is a video at the sound on a range of a 240 being shot at a range followed by the LV shooter sound identical. Yeah, 
um, I don't want to go down that trail today, but um, it's we could do a whole show on that. And there's so much to that that we don't know. And that's one of the shootings that rattled some people that I know that aren't gun people, but they said, that guy is my age. He had money. He, you know, seemed to have a good life. And he did what? Like, that doesn't add up in people's minds. Like, no one breaks bad like that. That just, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Period. Um, in the seaport where the people are paying four to five thousand a month to live, there's the migrant shelter being set up. Yeah, I I agree. You reap what you sow. There's no accident that the gun bill and immigration bill are occurring in tandem. Um, and you're right, Patrick. They never break ranks. Um, can almost guarantee that President. Spilka told Bruce Tarr if he wanted anything of his move on the Senate floor, then he will bend a knee or else. I confronted Rep. Xaros about this last week, and he said, you got to talk to Bruce Tarr about it. Um, I, I will try to put in a call to him and see if I can get him on the show or see if I can get a statement out of him because, you know, we should know why the heck. And maybe... Maybe that was the backdoor deal they struck was you support this bill right now and I will put you on the conference committee to reconcile it. And then you can try to pull out whatever you want out of it. I don't know. And I would say that would be like a Trump negotiation compromise with the whole uh, bump stock ban would be get assault weapons ban, universal background checks and bag capacity bans off the table and federal red flag laws off the table and throw this on the altar of convenience. I don't like the result of it, but you know, if Congress wouldn't even act to ban bump stocks, then they weren't going to act on a federal assault weapons ban. They weren't going to act on a magazine capacity ban or a, they they were very close to universal background checks at one point. I don't think it was during the Trump era, but they were very close on universal background checks. And if you ever read Misfire by, um, shoot, what was his name? We had him on the show before the author of the book and I read his book. It's, uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank. Um, but it was about the NRA and the NRA's, you know, poor handling of finances and Wayne LaPierre and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but he uh, he was saying in his book that, well, he was lamenting in his book because I don't think he's very favorable to the Second Amendment. But he, he said that um, the cl closest we ever came to universal background checks was when the NRA seemed to be on board and they had kind of promised that they were going to back it, which would have been nuts. Uh, and then right before the vote, they pulled all their support for it and all the politicians kind of followed suit. So he's like, oh, we almost had universal background checks. And then the NRA waffled and, and pulled their support, which they should have. Um, but anyway, 
you should make and sell the blank Healy t-shirts and bumper stickers. Yeah, uh, maybe. Um, uh, do semi-auto shotguns fall under the assault weapons ban? Yes, they do, Roberto. If it is a semi-automatic shotgun that holds more than five rounds, it is technically a large capacity shotgun. If it has a pistol grip, it is an assault weapon. If it has one or more, it is a single feature test where the assault weapons ban on semi-automatic rifles is a two feature test. When it comes to shotguns, it's a single feature test. So that's why you can't have a detachable mag and a pistol grip in shotguns. If it's tube fed, you can have a pistol grip. Um, let's see, uh, is that show where the guy acts like he's Rambo gun guy, but he's actually trained classically. Oh yeah. This cockroach has been starting a rumor that I'm not really a gun guy. I'm a classically trained pianist. And, uh, the irony of that statement is my dad was a classically trained pianist and, uh, he could play classical music like the best of them. The best I ever got in my piano experience was I could pretty much play, not very good, very choppily. I could play when the saints go marching in. And that was about it. Um, it, it was pretty, pretty epic though. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, Rumble went down. Oh no. Rumble feed is down. That's not cool. It shows it's up and running on my end. It says I'm live. It's still saying it's the Valentine's Day edition, though. I know I edited that. Ah, uh, the gremlins. There have been uh, too many new gun owners. This is another effort to restrict that growth. Yeah, amen to that. Uh, so. Let's see. Get them while they can can sell them. That's for sure. And guys, you know, I'm not trying to just pimp my store here, but I have a lot of inventory right now that needs to go. So come on down. I stocked up because of this bill. Um, and so uh, it's not five grand either. Um, the SIG MCX LT Spear LT as the GOW, you'll get a very special savings. I'm not going to tell you how much, but uh, they're like $26.99, I think, $26.50 or something like that. Uh, the pre-bands are usually right around three. So there you have it. Brent, the Bren 2 is a very good option. I like that. That will be on the list of guns for me to do a video on. I did just shoot a video yesterday, something to look forward to, um, on the CMMG. Uh, Resolute Mark IV, I think is what it is. It's the uh, it, it's the weapon formerly known as the Mutant, and it takes uh, AK-47 mags, shoots 7.62 by 39, but has AR-ish features. So that's another good one. So stay tuned for that. Um, whatever happened to the new Smith & Wesson rifle in 9mm? We, we sell that, Shane, all the time. That is the response. It takes M&P mags or it has a switch out magwell for the Glock mags. So 
and that's a great gun. That's one that I feel I had a little bit of influence on when I was on the uh, Retail Advisory Council. I saw the FPC and its development broad process, and I said, this is great. Um, and the final version of that gun is way different than the prototype I saw, so I really liked the final version compared to the prototype. But at the time, I said, guys, make it like an AR and make it affordable because right now most of the AR-ish pistol caliber carbines are pushing two grand. So if you can do something sub $1,000, that'll be good. Uh, Ambi for us lefties. Yes, Brooke, for all of you wrong-handed people, you get the ambidextrous features. It's still going to be a right eject. It's not like the stag with the true left eject and all that, but that's fine. I think it's a little um, overrated that you got to have the ejection on the weak side of your shooting. But anyway, maybe on like a Tavor or a bullpup, it makes more sense. But <laughs> yeah, I knew what you meant. Uh, it's ridiculous to buy up lowers and rifles like SIG that are not AR-based going to be investments. Um, I don't know what you mean. What They are or they aren't going to be investments. Um, maybe, uh, I think, I don't know if they'll be an investment. I think they might be, but you never know. Uh, Autocorrect scrutiny. Oh, okay. Are SIG rifles and other AR platforms going to turn into investment-grade firearms, lowers included? I see. Well, they have proven that to be that. I remember Knight's Armament um, made an investment run of matched upper and lower sets in the SR25 platform. And when I first opened my gun store, this is one of my biggest regrets, folks. I'm... I'm just being honest here. I had a chance to buy those for 1500 bucks. They released, I think they did 10,000 of them prior to the 94 assault weapons ban. And they just held them. Then they released them to Connecticut and Massachusetts shops first in like 2014 or 2015. And I was like 1500 bucks for an upper and lower set. This is how green I was. And I remember buying them and I was trying to sell them for like 1800 bucks and it was a slow sell and it was a hard sell. Those receiver sets right now are going for like five or six grand. And I'm like, oh, the good old days. We all have those good old days, right? Um, <laughs> the, uh, the good old days was when you could buy a Norinco Type 56 SKS for $79. My first one was $89 packed in Cosmoline. Took me three hours to get all the Cosmoline off it. And I remember buying like a, uh, a whole piece of ammo. This was right around the 94 assault weapons ban. And there was like a import ban on uh, 7.62 by 39 as well. And so the only thing I could get was... Um, was this corrosive, I think it was like Romanian or something like that. It had Cyrillic writing all over it, corrosive ammo. 
And I think I spent 400 bucks on the case of ammo. I split it with someone, but I got the gun for 89 bucks. The good old days, that same Norinco. I sold one yesterday, which was in mint shape for 700 bucks. And the guy drove down from Worcester. He's like, I'm leaving right now, two and a half, a little over two hour drive. He goes, this, uh, I've only seen beaters for like 1200 bucks. And this thing was pristine, had the sling, the, the spiker bayonet. It was really clean, um, all matching numbers, et cetera. So yeah, um, I'm glad you like those GOW videos, Demo Daddy. Um, the kickflip, one of these days, I will bust out the kickflip. I, I do one about once a year, and I still got it. Um, yes, Reagan did take automatics from us, the whole Hughes Amendment, um, which was sold as the, like, what was that? Like the Gun Owners Protection Act or whatever. Um, it was like one of those things basically enshrining the right to keep and bear arms all the while taking our rights along the way of, you know, the machine guns, et cetera. Uh, it didn't take them. It just banned the manuf future manufacture of all machine guns for the civilian market. Reagan took, uh, oh, we already read that. And Wayne went into that meeting without consulting NRA ever. Every president quit since then. Yeah. The more we hear about Wayne, the more I'm happy to say he's gone, but, what took you so long? Because that's uh, that's the real, that's the real tragedy of it. Is the fact that the board of directors propped him up for years, and they should be gone with him. It's called joint and several liability. They should all have to go. Wholesale changes. Um. <clears throat> Let's see. Good afternoon, New York Outcast. And uh, LARP wanted to get his FFL, not just to have fun with guns, but to actually serve a community. Did all the due diligence, and every month it just gets worse and worse to take on the liability. True, true that. Um, but I get to meet some of the best people in the world, and I get to interact with them on a daily basis. Um, yeah, that would be nice. Demo Daddy says I should sue that judge for violating our inalienable right. Sorry, Arlo's coughing up a furball over there. Um, the problem is you can't really sue judges, right? They're immune to that type of suit when they're in their official capacity on the bench ruling. That's what stinks. I agree that Brooke brings up a great point that alcohol, tobacco, and firearms should go back to being a list of a fun on Friday activity, right? Like uh, a lot of people have said that should be the name of a, sh a convenience store, not a uh, federal agency. Uh, let's see. Tim Mack, thank you. I was going to say Mack, but I it didn't seem right. Uh, he's the one who wrote Misfire, Inside the Downfall of the NRA. 
Um, and I did, uh, I did interview him on this show. And again, I don't think he's gun friendly, but he was trying to just expose the organization for what it was. It was a good read. Um, I could not, well, yeah, I, I guess I could build the piano. I'd have to have someone else put the strings and tune it. But uh, <laughs> we always joke in the industry, like whenever someone's taking too long, like you're not building a piano here. Come on, get on, get on it. And uh, or if they're like, I had this one guy who worked for me and he's a gun guy, so he might be watching. Uh, and he's probably one of the best craftsmen to ever work for my company. And he used to, you know, instead of using a pencil, he'd use his utility knife to mark the board where to cut. And I used to say, high work is not eye work. He'd be going up and down that ladder to get things like, he'd, be, he'd build a piano out of everything he made. And I'd be like, dude, just get it done. You know, not to say I'm trying to cheat the customer, but when you're 35 foot up on a ladder, you can't see it from here. So, and <laughs> I had, on the other extreme, my buddy, uh, he's no longer with us, but he used to say, man going by in a jet won't see it. <laughs> so whenever it was good enough, you know, the old good enough for government work, uh, man going by in a jet won't see it. Uh, uh, let's see. Um, I remember when I could go to Kittery Trading Post and get a Mosin for a hundred bucks when I was in high school, mid 2000s. Yeah, there's a lot of the good old days. I remember being offended at gun shows in 93 that someone was asking like $18.99 for an HKSP89. Be like, 18? are you kidding? I can get him out of shotgun news for $1,650. This is ridiculous. Man, oh man. The good old days. Is it just right carbine not protected? I don't know what that means. Just right carbines you can own in Massachusetts currently under the law. Um, the I don't know where they'll fall in the whole assault weapons ban if the House and the Senate version come to fruition. If the House version comes to fruition and they have that whole handguard language... But Just Right Carbine does have one that just has a barrel nut that screws the barrel in and there's no hand guard on it. So it, you know, you don't have a shroud protecting your hand from being burned, which is one of the things. Um, so we'll see what happens. But as of right now, you can buy it. And uh, G-Webs has more than one sub $40 Mosin Nagant. Popular guns weren't always popular. That's true. And, uh, you know, it's amazing what gun comes back in vogue, you know, every once in a while I, I, I go, what the heck, look at the nylon 66, right? Those were always like your first gun. They were the 1022 before the 1022, this cheap and cheerful nylon 66. It was a, it was a plastic gun and those things go for like seven, 800 bucks now. It's unbelievable. Um, you forgot I was on today and you didn't get notification. What the heck? Make sure you recheck that you're notified and like and subscribe if you get kicked off. That's a thing. People have been telling me um, that happened 
uh, last week with Anne Marie. She said she couldn't get on because she, well, she didn't get the alert. So, and Bird Runner's saying it too. Oh, come on. You guys are breaking my heart. Just hit the bell. And uh, Mark Smith from Four Boxes Diner said he's getting the same thing happening. We're, if this isn't proof that we're being shadow banned, I don't know what is, right? It's, it's just, uh, it's painful, but that's the way it goes. Um, we're going to have to live with it. We got to just deal with it. Yeah, the CMMG Descent Mark MK47 is an awesome gun. I like it. I will say, the, I was shooting it yesterday and it ran flawless with the P mags. When I tried to put in a pre ban Romy, it like it locks in like butter. It's better than an AK as far as it's swinging into position. But I had a lot of misfires with it. So I don't know if it was just that one mag or if it's, I got to try it some more with some other mags. Um, yeah. Uh, just spent the weekend with more HK machine guns than you can imagine. And no one even got a scrape. Oh boy. I'm jealous. HK machine guns are fun and, uh, fast and furious. Um, in for all the right reasons, looks good for my house. Yeah. That's another good one. Uh, <laughs> uh, sometimes it's work unscribing and resub subscribing to a channel doesn't always work but can uh thank you gwebs uh you gotta you gotta unsubscribe and resubscribe and hit the bell again i guess it's unbelievable painful bad thing about the recent nra wayne liability case is a feather in the cap of new attorney new york attorney general leticia who vows to do away with the nra yeah, talk about a political operative, huh? She ran on banning, I mean, uh, doing away with the NRA and getting Donald Trump, you know, put behind bars or whatever. Thinking lowers and non-AR platforms, even in mass at the prices they are, the modern $40 Mosins are as close as we will get. Well, I don't know about that. Let's put it this way. If for some reason the NFA ever went away, or let's put it this way, if the Hughes Amendment ever went away and the fact you could manufacture machine guns again for the civilian market, everybody who bought investment-grade HK machine guns would be like, oh, that $50,000 MP5 I bought is worth 4500 bucks right now. So it all depends how far into the future you view it. <laughs> if you're like me and you're hopefully optimistic that those type of bills will go away or those type of bans will go away, then it's going to make the $3,000 um, AR-15, pre-band AR-15, into a $600 rifle. But 
I, for one, as a gun owner first and a gun store owner second, would be okay trading my investment value for my rights. Um, that to me is a small price to pay. Now there's people out there with hundreds of NFA items like transferable machine guns. They might not see it that way because they probably have millions of dollars tied up in machine guns. But then again, if you can afford millions of dollars, diversify, diversify, diversify. Don't ever put all of your eggs in one basket. That's all. Um, <laughs> just saying after buying my 1917 Enfield for 75 bucks in the early 90s if you still got that that's one of those guns that's turned into a hot item right now so yeah uh yeah the polar seltzer engraved lower would be awesome we should work on that collaboration uh that's what i'm saying gwebs when the nfa goes away I know I probably said if, but you're right. When, uh, that would be amazing. Uh, it should, right? And there's little chinks in the armor now. There's little nuance to pay attention to. One of them is the Texas made suppressor, uh, made in Texas case. Um, also, this bump stock... I'm sorry. Well, yeah, the bump stock case and the arm brace ban. Doesn't the arm brace on a pistol completely null and void an SBR? Yes, it does. 100%. So it proves, and millions of them exist in this country, it proves that you don't need to regulate the SBR. There's other countries out there that laugh at us about that. Like, wait a minute. The same gun that has a 15-inch barrel is now a regulated item with a $200 tax stamp? That's fun. That's funny. I know CZ, the Czech Republic is like that because uh, a lot of their carbines have a 14-inch barrel. Just because it's better like this that's why the military uh m16s and whatnot m4s have a 14 and a half inch barrel based on the weight of the bullet the twist rate they've determined that the 14 and a half inch barrel is kind of the optimal barrel length well that presents a problem for us mere civilians you have to um pin and weld them on to pin and weld a you know, a break that gets you out to the 16 inch length in order to uh, be compliant with that law, because otherwise it's a short barreled rifle. And I think that alone, the fact that the military has the 14 and a half inch barrel on their guns without the muzzle being pinned and welded alone, that one comparison should be enough to do away with the NFA because the fact of the matter is what is an arm as defined by uh the lexicon of the 1791 era or the 18 18th century it is any gun that is good for offensive or defensive purposes and is in common 
and ordinary use. Hello? News. That means that gun can't be banned and should be challenged on that alone. What was the Jeopardy trivia question? I, I forget. Um, when we all can own M16s, the only rare and collectible M16s will be that existed before. I uh, could just order one online. Yeah, you raise a good point. There will be the collectible value of guns. So, um, you know, early 1960s or hot, late 18, uh, 1960s M16 might be, you know, it'll be a collectible collector value, but it's not going to be an inflated value based on the Hughes Amendment banning them in 1986. Um, you'll still have the nuance of guns, right? The rarity of them and the um, all that. So the pre-86 guns will probably be the collectible ones. And then there'll be the new modern machine guns. So uh, I look forward to that. I don't know what the Jeopardy trivia question was. ASD, type it into the chat. Uh, let me see. Oh. He's saying, uh, who can name a hobby that is legally taken away after a scrape with the law? Um, and G-Web's made an attempt at answering that, that it's, uh, and it's in the Constitution. Um, drones and camera drones are under attack by federal laws. So that's, uh, yeah. Everyone cannot own a compensated 1940s Thompson, but wouldn't be any different than anything else. Uh, let's see. Um, my grandfather bought a all his transferable machine guns pre-ban in the 80s. He'd lose it if the NFA was repealed. The NFA was basically why he didn't let us touch anything but the MP5. Yeah, he would lose it, but it get over it. The rest of us want to have fun too. Um, yeah, you might be right. G-Webs is arguing that they might have a greater collector pool than anyone who can get a $600 machine gun and want some of the rare banned guns. Um, what it would be really cool is when all the amnesty guns that aren't amnesty guns could come out to play. In other words, there's bringbacks from wars that People have had in their barns and basements and attics since the 40s and 50s, 60s, 70s. And that got brought back, quote unquote, illegally, never registered. So they're not transferable. They would be destroyed, but people just can't bring themselves to destroy them. Those guns exist. And I don't know where they are, but those should be uh, brought out, you know, into the daylight, so to speak. Um and that would be really cool. Um, I just want an M79 1980s action movie thumper. Uh, yeah, the that'd be cool. Uh, the trivia thing, the target shooting, lose your LTC, nobody else loses uh, any hobby. Yeah, no doubt. Um, we don't have probably any Kimbers on our website that are mass compliant, but it's not a trick. It's, um, 
they're on the target shooting roster. Uh, they do come around. We've had them in our shop and we've sold them from time to time. But basically, it's the Kimber Stainless Target 2. And then there's a long slide, but it's the five inch adjustable rear, rear sight model. And uh, that's the one that is compliant. If you really want one, I could probably get you one. Um, and I know that the full size Kimbers work pretty good. Um, we have a bunch of 1911s in stock right now. I got the Smith and Wesson E series, and I have the uh, like the Ruger 1911s, SR 1911s. But oh man, you're bringing up something that is uh, the question is: Does Mass have a PRS scene? I live on the North Shore, and it just seems silly for me to even try and delve into it. I want to. I can't say. It's just, all right, let's put it this way. My dream would be to have an outdoor range with a thousand yards. Um, because I think we could open up a market here in Massachusetts that doesn't exist. The slowest and the slowest moving category of guns in my shop is precision long range rifles, bolt action rifles. They just don't move. And everyone says the same thing. What's the point? Where could I shoot it? I can shoot 100 yards. Like, I'm not even stretching its legs. I can shoot my bolt action 2200 yards. Why do I need a 6.5 PRC or a, you know, 6.8 Western or a 300 Norma Mag in order to do that? That's just ridiculous. But if we could ever get a thousand yard range, that's my dream. Um, I know how to do it and I could do it really well so that it's efficient and it's user-friendly. You won't have to be driving down and back to set up targets and all that. Um, and it would be awesome. And then we could host PRS matches. We could really get that whole sector of firearms ownership open here on the East coast. There is PRS matches and I think Grafton, Massachusetts, um, I know a friend who's gone to one and they host a match every year. So there are people who do it. And a lot of my friends who do PRS matches just travel the whole country. And that's the thing about it is it's kind of an expensive man sport, but it's fun and exciting. So yeah, the HK 51, like the, like the HK 91, um, are not fun machine guns to shoot. I mean, it's fun, but it's not like super controllable and like easy to shoot. They're like, they're just, bah, 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 bah. I mean, they have serious recoil um, and they rise and they're hard to control. Um, I, I would much rather shoot the MP5. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, the bolt gun will always be mass legal. That's true. Um, don't don't say that to me because that means it's a challenge. And now I have to try harder because I when I was 18 years old, a lot of you don't know this unless you watch like Riding Shotgun with Charlie or G-Web's podcast. When I was on that, I talk, told the story about 
when I was 18 years old and I was framing houses with a guy who had a kitchen table FFL and would drive by a abandoned building. And I'd be like, Hey, look at that building over there. Let's buy that. Open up a gun range, open up a gun store and do, do it here in on Cape Cod. And he's like, what are you nuts? This is Massachusetts. You can't do that. I'm like, what do you mean? You can't do that. That's not an answer. I, I don't believe in that. Um, I believe in doing it. So let's do it. And he's like, no, you can't. It's Massachusetts. I'm like, so for that reason, I would love to do it, but that wouldn't be the reason I wouldn't do it is because it's Massachusetts. That's all the reason to do it is because it's Massachusetts. Um, <laughs> assault, bolt gun. No, you're right. Death by a thousand cuts. This, These groups are, they're, they are playing the long game. We've already seen a precursor of, of this. And what they're going to do is once they ban assault weapons, then they're going to go after sniper rifles. It's going to be sniper rifles. You know, the people who want to own a scoped rifle that's capable of shooting a thousand yards. Are you kidding? Like, that's going to be, why, why does anybody need that? You can't hunt deer at a thousand yards. Why does anybody need the ability to shoot a thousand yards? That's how that works. And they're going to really just prey on emotion. And they're going to, they're not going to call them bolt action rifles in the media. They're going to call them sniper rifles. They're going to call them long range precision rifles or snipers to kill people. And you don't hunt deer at a thousand yards. So why does anybody need a high-powered scope? Why does anybody need a rifle capable of shooting that far? So, um, yeah, you could dig a long ditch, cover it, and have an indoor range. The longer it is, the taller it needs to be, too, because of the, the bullet arc. At 1,000 yards, it's probably 20, 30 feet, right? the arc of that bullet. So um, it's not like you can shoot through a pipe a thousand yards. It's not going to work. It's going to be rattling down. <laughs> but um, yeah, SIG Academy does have a thousand yard range, but it's not something you can just go up and shoot at. You have to take one of their push to a thousand classes or something like that. So you're not going to be able like, I want to, I'd love to do an outdoor range with, a thousand yard capability plus two or three bays of hundred yard capability, maybe two or 300 yards as well. Um, and then a bunch of pistol bays. So you can do classes outdoors nine months out of the year and classes indoors for the other four months of the year, three months of the year, whatever, eight or nine months of the year outdoors. So, um, but anyway, Yes, I have heard of the zombie knives in the UK. Uh, same thing as assault weapons. And you see all the people who are bemoaning the loopholes because I, I can't remember what the nuance of the law is, but if it has some sort of writing on it or it doesn't have some sort of writing on it, it becomes legal to possess and own. 
And they're saying it's a loophole. So people are buying these zombie knives and killing people. And the proof is like, no matter how many arms you ban, if you don't control the criminal, you're always going to be dealing with the bad guy because the bad guy's going to do what the bad guy's going to do. So, yeah, the news will be like these psychopaths meet up all over the country with their uh, dualies to get ready for the assault on paper. <laughs> yeah. They're practicing their long-range precision skills. So they, could you imagine one man on top of a building in a crowded city and the havoc that he could wreak? Uh, and, you know, that's one of the things about the whole 50 cal bands. How many people, I would love to know how many people have been shot with a 50 cal in America. Not like a muzzleloader accident, like a Barrett. M82A1 in America. How many people? Because they're banning them in states like California and Hawaii. Um, I know New Jersey has threatened to. I don't know if they did. But you want to talk about the solution in search of a problem. Where's the concrete need for said ban? And how is it going to keep us all safe? Don't act. Are we all going to die? Crazy. Uh, do you count all the people on the planes that get shot out of the sky by the 15? Yes, count them in Massachusetts. I mean, in America. I'd like to know. Inquiring minds want to know. All right, guys, that's the show for today. I appreciate everybody. Um, you know, God bless you guys. You're awesome. I love interacting with you. And, uh, we're going to do it all again next week. So don't forget Rapid Fire Sunday on WXDK 95.1. Uh, and I'll see you then. I'll live stream it. And we'll be on the Grace Curly Show on Tuesday as well. So God bless. Hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week and a great weekend. And uh, we'll, we'll keep at it. You keep at it. And we'll see what happens on this Cargill case. And uh, yeah, lots to talk about. Keep the faith. Expand the tent, invite someone new to the range, and be a good advocate for gun ownership in your community. I'm Toby Leary. God bless. We'll see you next time.